So we are kicking off our annual theme this year, and it's Enter the Sanctuary. When you hear the word sanctuary in the Old Testament, sanctuary is a holy place. It's a place of refuge. It's a safe place. It's a place that is set apart. And so I want to walk away from the Bible for just a moment. And I want you to think about the idea of sanctuary, the idea of wholeness and rest, a sanctuary. Like throughout the years growing up as a kid or, or maybe even the last few, few years, where is the place of sanctuary in your life? So I'm going to give you an example. I just want you to go here with me for a minute. So when I was between the age of 10 and 12, I lived in Macon, Georgia, and my dad bought the property right next to us. And it was a house, like 10 acres, and he bought it so that my mom's dad could live next to us because he had some health issues. He was in his upper 70s, and so he lived next to us for those years. And when I would come home from school and everything was crazy, and whether it was a good day or a bad day, I would go from my house, and I would skitter-patter, run across the street kind of thing, and I would jump over and hang out with my granddad. And it was this moment where it was like it was set apart from everything else I did in the world. There wasn't school. There wasn't sports. My friends weren't there. There wasn't any agendas. And I'll never forget, every day, no joke, I would go in. He would hand me an ice-cold Coca-Cola and a pack of crackers, peanut butter, malt brand. I mean, I'll never forget it. And for some reason, like, Coke tasted better back then. Like, anybody? Anybody? I don't know if it's Coke Zero today. I don't know what it is or if it was laced with something. I don't know, but it tasted really good. It was awesome. And I just remember sitting down next to this sage of wisdom. Again, approaching 80, full of life experience. Everything was just slower. And I remember just being at peace. How's your day? And we would just talk and talk and talk. And it was this just beautiful place of rest. It felt safe. It was a refuge for me as a middle schooler. And I'll never forget it. It was just this lifeline. Where is it for you? Like, think about that. Is it a place? Is it a house? Is it, is it a coffee shop where you just feel like, man, this is my place of refuge? Maybe it's a, a group or a, a membership. It's at your gym, right? It's your golf team. It's your sports team. Something that you're a part of. Maybe it's a group, a men's group, a women's group, a small group. This place of refuge, this place away from it all that's set apart in some way. I mean, I can relate to all of those. I remember, you know, right when I became a Christian, having 12 guys over to my house. It was the blind leading the blind, talking about Jesus, and we had no idea what we were doing. But it was this place that was set apart. It was special. It was whole in, in some senses. I've been a part of gyms and this, this place where you get away, you get all the stress out, and it feels amazing and, and good. I've been a part of small groups. I've been a part of, of many different things. And all those things are really good. They're great. And, and I love that those places are safe and whole, but I have a question for you. And this is a really important question for today and really for you at Grace. And it's this. Is the church 
a place of sanctuary for you. I want you to dig deep. I want you to get curious. Like everything's okay. All your thoughts about it are okay right now. Is the church a place of sanctuary? Is it safe? Is it a refuge? Is it set apart? Is it distinct? Is it holy? And I'm talking about for you personally. When you think of the church, do you think sanctuary? Just meditate on that for a second. Because here's the reality, okay? Whatever your answer is, these last few years have been incredibly tough on the church. They really have. I mean, it's the first time as a believer, been a, been a Christian for 25 years, it's the first time nationally, not like a one-off, not, hey, this pastor had a moral failure, not like, hey, this denomination's going the wrong way, but nationally, the church as a whole, there was question marks. There was this national feeling, this sense of the church may not be safe. The church has this question mark. Is it a place of refuge? Is it a place of truth? Is it a place that is set apart? Is it distinct? There's been this questioning and it's been going on for a couple of years. Is it a place of refuge? And there's two sides to it, right? And maybe you were in one of these sides and maybe you still are or you've seen it some other place, right? Nationally or locally. But here's the two sides. It's truth without love. And it's the culture wars. It's all the things that are required behind it. Think about it. What I'm saying, the truth that I believe that you should believe, it's so important that we need to cram that down your throat. We need to make sure that everyone knows the truth, believes the truth, and lives by the truth. The truth is dominant. If we don't have truth, we don't have anything, right? And you would do it in a, not, not you, but nationally, we saw it was very loud, sometimes hurtful and angry, and it was post after post after post, your inbox being filled with all this information that you need to come to this side. You need to land here. Truth without love, though. That was the main focus. And then, you know, the other, the pendulum swing of the other side. And listen, a lot of this seems validated because of everything that was going on. There were things in life, in the church, in congregations that were not true. And so there was this up in arms, we've got to militant, get after it. That's the one side. Here's the other side. The church is so broken. People have been so hurt. There's so many question marks that we need to have love without truth. And I think even some of them thought, just for a season, like just for a couple of years, we just need to accept everyone and everything, whatever ideology, whatever thought they have, whether it's biblical or not, let's go head first, let's go, baby. We need to love people because the church is broken, people have been hurt, we're in the de-churched area of the world, Orlando. We need to love people. But truth left the conversation. Those are the two sides. I'm going to propose to you that there's a third way, that we don't have to be militant, that we don't have to beat people over the head, 
that we don't have to be angry all the time, and that we don't have to accept every ideology that comes through the door, that we can actually be biblical and still love people. And so we're going to talk about more of that as we go into this passage. But as we talk about sanctuary, I want to give you a prime focus. This is an overarching idea for the text today. And for what I want you to think about, because really we have to take the word of God and we have to make it relevant for who we are, for where we are. And so here's, here's the idea. Sanctuary is a place full of committed, not consumeristic Christians. I'm going to say it again. Sanctuary is a place full of committed not consumeristic Christians. And so we're going to see Peter unpack sanctuary for us and where we're headed as a church. So let's jump in. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be going from verses 4 all the way through 10. The Apostle Peter says these words. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. I don't know if you noticed this, but that first phrase, as you come to him, emotes worship immediately. Old Testament, New Testament, as you come corporately, as you come to worship, as you come to sacrifice, as you as an individual and as you as corporately as the church come. As you come to him, who's him? It's Jesus. And we're going to see that unpacked in a moment. As you come to him, a living stone. So Jesus, he is representative of the living stone. In chapter 1, he talks about how all Christians have a living hope. It's active. It's present. It's not dead. It can actually bring healing to you, hope to you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your grief. In the midst of your negative thoughts, it's active, it's living, it's a hope that we have as believers. Now he's talking about Jesus. He's living, he's alive, he actually rose from the dead, he's still present and at work in your life, among you. He holds all things together, Colossians says. As you come to him in worship, a living stone. And then he says, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God. Notice you are coming to a God, Jesus, who is rejected by people. That's what he says. He says, hey, as you come to worship, Jesus is rejected by people, but chosen and honored by who? God Almighty himself in many ways. Let me just talk about as we come to worship, as we gather together, do you know that that's not the norm? Let me, let me say it to you this way. In many ways, attending church is countercultural and counterintuitive. We live in the tourist capital of America right? In so many ways. We got Disney, the beach, Legoland. We, you, can, you can still boat here, right? You can hunt here. You can do all kinds of things. We live in Orlando, Central Florida. We live in a fast-paced society, and I would say even more so than where I came from. I grew up in Georgia. I lived there for years and years. Went away to South Carolina, went away to Kentucky, went back to Georgia. It's a slower pace there, just in general, 
When I got here, I was like, all right, I love this. This is a little faster. I enjoy it. I like the activity. I like lots to do. I, I, I'm, I'm, I love this area. But we live in a fast-paced society. And, and for many of us as families, let's just get in the nitty-gritty. It's sports year-round, right? It's dance, acting, competitive schooling, jobs. The list goes on. We, we, we could talk about traveling. All, I mean, all, all the stuff. It's a fast-paced society, and it's only increasing, right? We live in an isolated society. I don't know if y'all have heard the term glow kids. You probably have. It's this idea that it's specifically, honestly, the guy who coined it, it's, it's written around the idea of gaming, but it's for all kids, really, that are connected to tablets, their phones, and it's this idea that when you see a kid, all you see is the glow from the screen, because they're just here all the time. They're isolated. They're not connected to others. And maybe they are a little bit here as they game and as they do different things. But they're glow kids. They're isolated. And we, it's not just kids, it's society as a whole. There's an isolation. There's a disconnect. And so going to church is not the top priority for the average family in Orlando. You're here. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. But that's not the norm in our area. That's not the norm at your work necessarily. That's not the norm at your school necessarily. Right? Public and private. It's not the norm. And I love this phrase, as you come to him who is rejected by people but chosen and honored by God. I'm going to say it this way. Society may not care. Your coach may not care. Your boss may not care. Disney definitely doesn't care, right? But God cares that you come and worship him. He's chosen and honored by God. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. I was just praying. We were meeting as a team before we got up. And I was praying that people here would see that we believe in a God who's greater than the show that they're watching, greater than the sports team they're a part of, greater than whatever it is in their life that he has chosen and honored. He's precious other Other translations say it. So I want to ask you a question. As you come and as you worship the living stone, will you care? In 2023, will you care? In 2023, will your family care? Will your neighbor care? Will you care? To worship the king. I think about, you know, 2023 is kind of the, we set new goals, we do new things, and so... I I came across this Bible in a year chronological walkthrough with a a woman named Tara Cobble, and it's called Bible Recap. I saw it. She has this chronological walkthrough and then does like a podcast for like a few minutes about explaining different things, real high-level stuff. And I was like, man, this looks pretty good. I started doing it. I invited like 15 other guys. Now they're doing it. And there's other women that I found that were already doing it. And they're like, we're way ahead of you. This is like our third year doing it. You need to catch up. And I'm like, okay. You know, like, all right. But, but it's really cool because you know what it is? It's 15 guys and, and all these other women and, and all these things. What are they doing? They're saying Jesus matters. I'm going to read through the Bible. And you don't have to read through the Bible to say Jesus matters. But they are saying Jesus matters by reading through the word by getting up every day. It's seven days a week. And everybody knows that when you miss, it's fantastic, right? But, but that's the picture. Jesus is chosen. He's honored. So are you committed or are you a consumer? 
Think about that. Because the picture he's painting, it emotes this worship. As you come to him, the living stone, the active Jesus, will you worship him? Will you put him first? Will you commit and not just consume? Will it shape your life? And listen, Peter's going to shift from Jesus being the living stone to now us being living stones. Let's jump in. Verse 5. You yourselves, he's speaking to the church You yourselves, both individually, but really corporately as living stones, a spiritual house. He's painting this picture of a temple, of a sanctuary, this place of refuge and hope and life. But you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See that picture he's painting? There's sacrifices, there's worship, there's even this sense of what's acceptable, this priesthood, there's shepherding going on, there's spiritually significant things happening. That's what he's talking about, that we are a part of that. Let me say it to you this way. Today, this place, it's the church. It's the church, locally and universally, right? It's the church. And it's not a building, it's the people of God. So how does this work? So I want to go a little narrower than this passage is meaning, but I want to go here because it represents the whole. And here it is. Paul speaks of this idea in an individualistic way. Let's look at it. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 and following. And he gives a really strong charge at the beginning. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know, this is where it all comes together, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You you see the idea of sanctuary, this idea of rest and refuge, this temple language that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Whom you have from God. You are not your own. You are not a consumer. You don't just show up and go, it's all about me. You are not your own. You are a committed follower of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Now the Holy Spirit lives in you, for you were bought at a price the blood of Jesus. So glorify God with your body. Now, I I just want to cover this. And be clear, flee sexual immorality. What he's saying is your body is a temple. What you do with it, how you live, the way you think, what you do, the activities that you have, they matter. Sexual immorality is this catch-all for sexual sin. It's lust in any type of sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. He's saying what you do, how you live, what you think, how you operate, it matters because you are a temple for the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an individual level, but I want you to hear this before we move to the corporate, which is what Peter's talking about. This is really important. You are to be, you personally are to be a place of sanctuary. This is so important. You are to be a safe place. You are to be a refuge. You are to be set apart. You are to be Holy, because Jesus is holy. 
He says it in Peter, be holy as I am holy, right? I I, want to share a story, and I'm not going to give you details, but I was, this is right before I became a Christian, I was dating a girl, and I really liked her. She was awesome. And there was this moment where I decided to go off with another girl. Now, back then, it wasn't we're just talking, okay? This is maybe a little different, but maybe more similar than I realize or remember. But, like, when I said I'm dating you, I meant I'm dating you and nobody else, okay? And there was this moment where I decided, no, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go off with this other girl, and I did. And my girlfriend at the time found out, and she was super hurt, super broken. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I know this was a long time ago really long time ago, I still feel bad. I still feel remorse. And this is a, you know, long time ago thing, but here's what I want you to hear. Many of you have either been on that side or on the other side of not having a safe place. The person that you were involved with was not safe, wasn't a place of refuge, instead was manipulative, deceitful, hurtful, And that's not the way Christ calls us to be. He calls us to be set apart, holy, distinct, different, a safe place, a place of refuge. You are to be a place of sanctuary. That's the picture. This is critical to to a believer. Paul calls Christians to represent the spirit that lives in us. And so will you be a sanctuary to others? Will you be a safe place? Will you be distinct and set apart? And can I just be honest, that requires commitment and not a consumeristic mindset. If it's all about you and about what you want and how you feel, then you would be living the life that I lived before I lived, before I knew Jesus. And as a believer, I still struggle with this in different ways, okay? But, But still, we're walking through the journey. Now notice in Corinthians, Paul's talking about the individual level. Now I want to go back to Peter because he's talking about a corporate level, but the, the individual represents the corporate. So we individually are to be a sanctuary, right? Let's keep going. Verse five, same verse. You yourselves, just going to emphasize a different part. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house. Here comes the main focus are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The word being built is the main verb in this phrase. It's the main focal point at this moment. And you know why I love that? It means we, us, corporately and individually, it's a process. God isn't done with us. He's still at work in us. We're not done. It's not over. Your mess ups, your failures, you're walking through all the darkness. You, he's not finished with you. He's already saved you, but he's going to continue to work in your life in a way that changes you, that shapes you to where you will be a place of refuge, where you will be a safe place, where you'll be distinct and set apart. And you're going, man, I don't feel like that. I don't see that. I don't ever feel like I'm going in that direction, but God is at work. He who began a good work in you will continue it on until completion. He's at work. The living stone. And we are living stones. He's at work in us. It means we give grace and we receive grace individually 
Think about this corporately. I'm broken. The leaders at Grace, we are not perfect. And as we entered into all the past couple of years walking with Grace, extending Grace individually and corporately as a church, because the church is still the place of sanctuary. It is. But if you see it as a consumeristic mindset and not a committed life to Christ, it's easy to, I'll give you an example. I had somebody, I've actually had this a lot through the years. I've been here four and a half, running on five years, and people show up. And I'm not hating on them when I say this. I'm trying not to judge them when they say it, okay? I'm just being honest, being real. They'll come up to me, and, you know, maybe it's their second Sunday or something. They'll be like, man, Pastor Clint, man, today was amazing. It was so good. Our kids loved it. It was so great. Man, when you get a building, give me a call, and I'll be here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, all right, awesome. And, and so, like, even in that mindset, you know, there's obviously seasons and certain situations for people, but it's just this idea of I, I don't want to commit to this because it might be hard or sacrificial. I think of our ops team and just how committed they are in our worship team that they show up here early. Why? So that people can worship and they're saying, man, I'm committed to the vision. I'm committed to the mission to help people take their next step towards Christ, whatever that looks like. And they show up week after week and they do incredible work. That's why we're here, right? It's amazing. But if you have a consumeristic mindset, you're going to look at this and be like, "Woo! I'm out of here. I'm not doing that. That's too hard, Right? If you want to see, I'm, I'm just going to commit this to you. In 2023, if you want to see God move among your neighbors and in your home and all around you, it's going to take commitment. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take us saying, God, we're all in, whatever it takes, whatever you want us to do. I will speak up when I don't want to. By the grace of God, I may fumble through it. I may say the wrong thing to that person at my, at my work. But man, God, I feel this burning inside of me. You're telling me to speak. I'm going to speak. And maybe instead of sharing the gospel, I just invite them to something. Like, hey, we got a guy's night. I, 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 that's all I could get out, right? But God, I'm going to faithfully follow you. I'm going to commit to you. I'm going I'm I'm to live for you. I love that. Now Peter takes the focus off of Christians individually, corporately, as a church, and he centers on Jesus. Let's look at the text. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored, some translations, chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. I'm going to stop there. This cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. In ancient times, masonry, here, here's the way it worked. They would lay the cornerstone, the main focus, the foundation. And every other stone is built as a pattern off of that one stone. It was the center, the source, the focus, the alignment. That was the picture here. He's saying Jesus is the cornerstone. And if you center your life 
And if you focus your life around him, everything hinges on him. So if you try to run your life and set up your life apart from Christ, you're going to find yourself off in all kinds of dark, horrible, hard places. Now, I do want to be clear, just because you center your life on Jesus doesn't mean there isn't suffering or pain or heartache. Jesus was crucified. His disciples were killed, right? But he said this is chosen and precious. He's honored. There's no one like him. And guess what? You will never be put to shame if you make him the center and the hope of your life. That's the bedrock of the church that we center our lives around him, that we center individually and corporately around him, that we believe the gospel, that we are broken, but that Jesus was perfect on our behalf, that he lived the perfect life that we could never live, died on a cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead so that we may have life. He's precious. He's honored. You know what that means? Just, just go here with me. Your current trouble, whatever it is, in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, at your job, is temporary. It's temporary. Your current suffering, whether physical, mental, whatever it is, it's temporary. Your current addiction as a believer, as a follower of Christ, it's temporary. It will pass one day. And it may not pass until you die, but it will pass. You will never be put to shame. Your current grief is temporary. But commitment is not temporary. It's not consumerism. It's the long game. That we believe that whatever we go through, following Jesus is worth it. It's worth it. Now Peter returns to the people of God again. And this is what he says. And there's so much to unpack here. I wish I could unpack it all one by one, but we're just gonna, we're gonna move through it. But you, the, the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. He's recalling Mount Sinai when he made a covenant with God's people. And the priests, according to Deuteronomy chapter 10, here's what they would do. They would go and enter into the presence of God. And then when they left, they would take by their lives, by their words, by their thoughts, they would take that presence to those around them. That was part of their calling as priests. And so he's saying that we likewise, because the spirit lives in us, that we go and we, we gather and we worship and we meet with Jesus and then we go out. And we represent and live and extend the grace of the gospel to those around us. That's the focus. So then he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his possession. All the, the let me just say it this way quickly. Israel is now you, the church, in those ways. You receive the promises, the covenant, the truth that Israel had, now you have. That's what he's saying. So that finishing up verse 9 and then verse 10. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Out of all this, we worship. Out of all this, we worship with our hearts, our minds, our lives, our praises, all of the above. And then he says this phrase, and it's, he's speaking of Hosea. 
Hosea and Gomer. And he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen to this. It's an Old Testament story. The prophet Hosea is called by God to marry unfaithful Gomer, an unfaithful person. And God's using this as a declaration to Israel at their time that you have been spiritually unfaithful, but I'm going to love you. I've made a covenant with you. I'm going to pursue you in such a way that you would come follow me, that you would trust me, that you would receive the promises that you don't deserve. You've been unfaithful spiritually. But like Hosea loves Gomer as he pursues her and loves her and covenants with her, I am doing the same with you. And the truth isn't just for Old Testament Israel, it's for us as well. That we are broken people, individual and corporate. That we were not his people, but now by the grace of God, by Jesus Christ, we are his people. And we come and we worship. We don't consume, we commit to the Father through His Son. So I'm gonna pray for us. And then we'll keep worshiping. God, may grace, may we be a sanctuary. God, may we individually and corporately be a safe, set apart and holy place for people to take their next step towards Christ. God, would you, would you fill us up? Would you move in our hearts? Would you unsettle the dark places? Would you unsettle the the sloth and the, the sleepiness spiritually? God, would you wake us up? Would you revive us? Would you move in our lives in such a way that, that we see you? God, help us not to be consumers, but to be committed followers of you. And God, that you would change not just this place, but those around us. God, that we would see you do incredible things this year. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.